We're uh, taking a, a, a break for this week and next week from our studies in Genesis uh, to be considering uh, this, this week the, the triumphal entry of Jesus and, of course, um, next week the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew 21, 1. And now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and Jesus did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went before him and those that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowds said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house should be called a prayer, a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out to the city of, from the city to Bethany, and lodged there. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Our Lord and our God, as we consider this morning the events that took place on that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, Lord, we're, we're thinking about things here that are so foreign to us in so many ways. We live in a, in a very different time, in a very different place. But yet, Lord, the things that we see here are, are common. The responses that, that people made to Jesus when he rode into the city on that day are, are similar in many respects to the responses of, of those today, maybe even the responses of some of those sitting here. Lord, we pray that as we approach these words of Scripture, Lord, that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would empower them to our hearts and that all of us would understand who Jesus is and that we would worship him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was a season of darkness. 
It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on it being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. This, of course, is the beginning, the introduction of Charles Dickens' famous novel, A Tale of Two Cities. The two cities in question are London and Paris, during the bloody French Revolution. This is a tragic story of mistaken identity, and it ends in death. Now, I won't tell you who and how, because you really ought to read this novel for yourself, but that ending echoes the ending, at least the intermediate ending, of the events that commenced here in Matthew 21, the chapter that we are looking at this morning. This too, on that Palm Sunday, this too was the best of times and the worst of times. This too was an age of wisdom and an age of foolishness. This too was a season of darkness and the season of light. This too was the spring of hope and the winter of despair. Here too, people had everything before them and they had nothing before them. Here too, some were going to heaven, but others were going to hell. This too is a tragic story of mistaken identity. And this too ends in death. Yet that is where the similarities end. That story, Tale of Two Cities, is historical fiction. This one in Matthew's Gospel is historical fact. That death was only temp sorry, that death rather was permanent. This death was only temporary. That was a case of mistaken identity that had serious implications for a few. This is a case of mistaken identity that has eternal implications for billions. The tale of this city is a tale of one city, of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was rushing into events that had been foretained, been foreordained before time began. The stage was set for the most important event that has ever taken place in the history of the entire universe. This was Palm Sunday, the first day of the last week of Jesus' ministry before going to the cross. The Passover was at hand. And pilgrims had come from all over the nation, probably two million of them, to celebrate. Many were from the Galilean countryside, the region where Jesus had done so much of his ministry. Many had heard about the raising of Lazarus just a few days prior. They had heard about the miracle and they, they had, had speculated as to whether Jesus was going to come to the feast. And then somehow word gets out. Jesus is on the way. And as he approached the eastern gate of Jerusalem, riding on a young donkey, a large crowd gathers, spreading their cloaks on, on the ground, waving palm branches in the air, and crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is, to, is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now there was no doubt in the minds of those there in Jerusalem that day that someone special was coming. 
Some recognized him as a king, but precious few recognized him as the king of kings. Some recognized him as a prophet, but few recognized him as the prophet. Some recognized him as a son of God, but no one recognized him as God the Son. How did so many mistake his identity? The crowds mistook Jesus' identity as deliverer. The crowds also misunderstood Jesus' identity as the prophet. And the Pharisees mistook Jesus' identity as the Lord. As we consider these things this morning, you, you must ask yourself, do you recognize Jesus as your deliverer? Do you recognize Jesus as the prophet? Do you recognize Jesus as the Lord? So first of all, the crowds mistook his identity as the deliverer. We can see that there in Matthew 21, verses 1 to 9. The expectations of the masses had grown to a fever pitch. At no point during Jesus' incarnation was his popularity greater. His popularity had grown and grown as he miraculously healed the sick and cast out demons. But days Prior to this, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the grave after Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now, they didn't have Facebook and they didn't have texting, but you can imagine word got out. People knew what Jesus had done. And as Jesus and the disciples drew near to Jerusalem, he told two of them to go into the city of Bethphage, which is adjacent to the, mount, the town rather, of Bethphage, which is, which is next to the Mount of Olives, to get a donkey colt and to bring it to him. Now, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, even if his disciples didn't. He told them to say to anyone who asked, the Lord needs it, so that they would let them take the animals. And it happened just as Jesus had said it would. So the disciples put their cloaks on the animal and Jesus mounted it and they headed for the city. As they approached, again, people threw their cloaks on the ground in front of the entourage. This was the customary method of receiving a king. The, the people understood in, in some sense that, that a king was approaching. As Jesus rode into the city on that, that borrowed donkey colt, his humility and his actual mission should have been evident. But as D.A. Carson explains that instead, this would have whipped the political aspirations of the vast crowds into insurrectionist frenzy. But Jesus chooses to present himself as the king who comes in peace. And in Matthew here quotes Zechariah 9.9, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This was a prophecy that, that had been made hundreds of years prior. And Jesus very intentionally, as he rode into the city on that day, was fulfilling that prophecy. Again, the symbolism was very intentional. The donkey represented humility and peace. In Zechariah 9.10, the Lord says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. 
the crowds saw Jesus as one who would deliver them from their Roman captors. Even the disciples bought into this. They, they expected to reign with Jesus in an earthly kingdom. But Jesus did not fulfill their expectations. He didn't come as a man of war, though one day he will. He came as the Prince of Peace. He didn't come riding on a war horse, though one day he will. He came riding on a donkey. The crowd waved palm branches in the air, and only John tells us here that it was, it was palm branches, but this is not an insignificant detail. In Leviticus 23.40, palm branches were, were represented as part of worship during the Feast of Tabernacles. But palm branches also would have been linked to a, a, an event even closer to the hearts and minds of the Jews during that period of time as they were, were there in Jerusalem as, as a captured city. Jerusalem was under Roman occupation. And so in the minds of the people, this would have brought them back to the second century BC when Judas Maccabeus led a guerrilla war against the Seleucid Empire from Syria that enabled the temple to be freed so that the Jews could worship in the temple. And this resulted in the, the Feast of Dedication, or is now thought of as, as Hanukkah. That this triumph was celebrated with, with music and with the waving of palm branches. Similarly, after another victory, uh, Judas's brother Simon gained final victory over the Syrians and drove them completely out of Jerusalem. And as he entered the city, again he was greeted by people waving palm branches and playing music. And so the palm branch became a symbol of military victory, of Jewish nationalism. It was like the Jews were flying the national flag in the faces of the Roman occupiers. Not only that, but just prior to this day, Pontius Pilate, who had recently been made procurator of Judea by the Roman Caesar Tiberius, had enraged the Jews by taking money from the temple treasury to build an aqueduct. And tens of thousands of Jews revolted against the Romans. And so Pilate ordered the soldiers to crush the rebellion. And that they did, violently killing a number of unarmed Jews. So as Jesus approached the city on that day, you would have been able to cut the tension with a knife. As Jesus approached, the soldiers would have been on high alert. They would have gripped the hilts of their swords just a little bit tighter as the chanting of the crowd grew to a fever pitch. But this crowd waving palm branches on that day points to another day, a far greater day, though not in the way the crowds or the Romans could have fathomed, when the elect of every nation are gathered together around the throne of God. Would you please turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
So that day pointed to the day. The day when, when people from every tribe and tongue and nation are going to be worshiping Jesus around his throne together. Now at that triumphal entry, the, the cry on people's lips was, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. This is a quote from, from Psalms 118, verses 25 and 26. Hosanna is the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word meaning save now. And Psalm 118 is the only place where that word is used. Now, it was originally a, a cry for help, but focusing on, on verse 26, it gradually came to mean that salvation has come. So, so the cry for, for salvation has become the declaration and announcement of salvation. And so when the crowd saw Jesus riding into the city, the assembled masses concluded that salvation had come. They, they rightly saw Jesus as a deliverer, but they understood him as a military deliverer, not as a spiritual deliverer, and much less as their spiritual deliverer. They, they weren't thinking about this from a spiritual perspective. They thought that Jesus was just coming to drive the Romans out of Jerusalem. But Jesus didn't come to defeat the Romans. He came to defeat an enemy far more powerful. But the crowds didn't get it. Just a few days later, their shouts of Hosanna would be re replaced with shouts of crucify him. Not even the disciples understood what was happening. But even as Jesus taught them, their ignorance would become more and more evident during the coming week. Like the crowds, they too expected Jesus to come as a conquering king. They didn't expect him to allow himself to be conquered. So the crowds mistook Jesus' identity as a deliverer, but they also misunderstood Jesus' identity as the prophet. You can see that in verses 10 and 11, where we read, When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from, the Nazar from Nazareth of Galilee. So what does it mean here that Jesus was a prophet? Many churches today have so-called prophetic ministries, but the so-called, the content of these, these, these so-called prophecies is that God wants to make you successful and happy. But a prophet in the biblical sense is a very different meaning. The English word prophet comes from the Greek word prophetes, which means one who, who speaks forth. Prophets are also called seers because they have spiritual insight and are sometimes given the ability to see the future. So prophets in the biblical sense had a, had a teaching and a revelatory role. They were to faithfully speak God's word to God's people. Now, Jesus certainly did that. But as would happen here, the people almost always rejected the messages of the prophet and rejected them as well. The people believed that Jesus was a prophet. They'd, they'd heard of his, of his supernatural insight. His, they'd heard his authoritative teaching of the scriptures, his proclamations of end times events, the, the miracles he had performed. And, and some of the people here would have actually witnessed these miracles personally. And so when they, they say this is the prophet of Nazareth, it's, 
it's possible that some of them had in mind that he was the eschatological prophet, the end times prophet spoken of by Moses in Deuteronomy 18.5. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. In other words, that they, some here might have been saying that Jesus was not just a prophet, but the prophet. But like the people of Israel had done so many times prior, they rejected this prophet as well. Now it's interesting that Matthew would, would make a reference to, to Nazareth here. He had already written of Nazareth in, back in chapter 2, verse 3, that um, and he went to live in a, in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, Matthew doesn't give us any di direct quotation of prophecy that the Messiah will be called a Nazarene. Nowhere in the Old Testament is there any direct prophecy of, of this. Nazareth lies about 24 kilometers away from, from Jerusalem, or 15 miles west of the southern end of the Sea of Galilee. Even though Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the people considered him to be from Nazareth because this is where he was raised. This is where Joseph was from. It's where Joseph took his family back to Nazareth after they had fled from Bethlehem because of, of Herod and they'd gone to Jerusalem. They came back to Nazareth. Now, for some reason that, that we don't know, Nazareth was scorned. It might be its obscurity or its insignificance, but theologian John Nolan points out that Nazareth was, was a quite insignificant town in biblical times and is never mentioned once in the Old Testament. At the time, it was a small village of probably no more than 500 people. When Philip told Nathanael in John 1.45, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, Nathanael responded, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Leon Morris explains that if Jesus would have been known as Jesus of Bethlehem, there certainly would have been an, an aura of royalty because Bethlehem was the royal city. It was the city from which David came. But Jesus of, of the Nazarene carried with it overtones of contempt. We're to understand the prophets is pointing to, uh, to one who would be despised and rejected. This Jesus is fulfilling by his connection with obscure Nazareth. Jesus had told the disciples in Luke 13, 33, and 34, Nevertheless, I go my way now and tomorrow and the day following, for if it cannot be that a, that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, yet you were not willing. The city would kill the prophet. So, the, fair, so the, the crowds misunderstood Jesus' identity as a deliverer and as the prophet, but the Pharisees and the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leadership, mistook Jesus' identity as the Lord from verses 20, uh, 12 to 17. Tensions between the leadership and Jesus had reached the breaking point. Throughout Jesus' ministry, his his teaching had become more and more against the teaching of the Pharisees. 
He'd become more and more outspoken against them and their false teaching. And so they resented him. They resented his popularity. They hated his message. So they gave instructions to the temple guards that if Jesus should show up on that day, they were to arrest him. They were hungry for his blood. As he entered the temple precinct, they thought he was entering their turf. They ruled the temple guard. They were the ones who ministered there. But how little they knew. They were likely wondering what Jesus was going to do. We, we read in John's gospel that, that Jesus had already done what he was going to do here once before. Again, just prior to the Passover, but there at the beginning of his ministry, and now he's doing it here at the end. Well, they wouldn't have to wait long to find out. Jesus had two things that he wanted to do here in the temple. As his earthly ministry was drawing to a close, he wanted to make holy and he wanted to make whole. And the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees did not understand either. In the temple, in addition to the, the cries of Hosanna to the son of David, Jesus was greeted by the sounds of cattle. The temple grounds had, had once again become a marketplace for vendors selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices and along with money changers. And because pilgrims often traveled long distances to come to the temple, they wouldn't be able to transport their livestock for their offerings. And so the merchants provided them at a tidy profit. There were also money changers there who would exchange foreign currency into the acceptable currency and also at a tidy profit. We know from Luke's gospel that Jesus had been to the temple at least once even prior to that. First as a baby, when he was presented to the Lord and his mother Mary and his adopted father Joseph had offered a pair of turtle doves or pigeons as a sacrifice for his dedication. And who knows, but maybe his parents even bought those two birds from the vendors on this site. John tells us that Jesus is Jesus had come back to the temple again early in his ministry, but then again here we're seeing at the end, at the close of his ministry, that Jesus wants to make holy and wants to make whole. And so he drove the money changers and the merchants out of the temple. He overturned their seats and, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And for the justification for his actions, he, he drew from Isaiah 56, where he told them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Jesus here was sanctifying the temple. He was making it holy. Something obviously that the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests had neglected to do. In fact, very likely the religious, religious leaders had themselves made a profit for, from this this marketplace that was taking place in the temple. So Jesus came to make the temple holy. We also see in verse 14 that the blind and the lame came to Jesus also in the temple and he healed them. He was com having compassion on them. He was making them whole. But again, this was something that the religious leadership didn't understand. But even worse, they didn't understand that his healing ministry pointed to something far greater. That his healing ministry re also revealed his identity as he fulfilled Isaiah 35, 4-6. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God 
will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now, Jesus had quoted this very passage earlier when John the Baptist's disciples had asked him if he was the one, if he was the Messiah. The Pharisees did not understand this ministry of making holy and making whole. They did not understand Jesus' ministry as the Lord. So what was their response? You'd think even if they didn't like Jesus that they'd be happy that people were, sick people were being made well. You'd, you'd, you'd think that they would, would be excited about this sort of thing taking place in front of them. These miracles that were taking place right there, but, but they were indignant. And to the cries of the children, Hosanna to the son of David, they wanted Jesus to stop. But again, Jesus' response, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. He was quoting Psalm 8, clearly a messianic psalm, one that we've been speaking about from, from Genesis 1 and from Hebrews 2. Jesus was saying here, I am the Lord. Now the scriptures don't tell us the response of the, of the religious leadership. We're left to imagine. But I think you can get a pretty good idea especially from what happened a few days later. Matthew closes here simply by saying in verse 17, and leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Jesus had done what he set out to do on that Palm Sunday. He had revealed very clearly who he was, but very few understood. Just a few days later, the Pharisees would conspire and the crowds call for the Romans to crucify him. The crowds mistook Jesus' identity as deliverer. I wonder, have you mistaken Jesus' identity as deliverer? Some people talk about, about trying Jesus, trying Jesus to, to help them overcome the problems in their lives. Now, now, some problems that, that people need help with are, are very serious and, and life-destroying problems. But Jesus did not come to deliver you from merely your problems or your felt needs. Jesus came to deliver you from the world and sin and Satan. Jesus came to deliver you from the wrath of God. Many here have felt that deliverance. Many of us have experienced the victory of Jesus over these things. Many of us here are walking in that deliverance every day, drawing strength from him and seeking confidence from him and him alone as they fight sin in their lives. The crowds also misunderstood Jesus' identity as the prophet. Some think of him as a, as a, a wise teacher or as, uh, with good things to say, or, or others think of him as, as pronouncing for them their best life now. They think that Jesus is like the, the false prophets of Ahab's day. They only want to hear good things. Jesus is not merely a prophet. He is not merely one of many wise men. He is infinitely above even the true prophets of the Bible like Isaiah and Jeremiah. 
he's above Moses as the, the builder of the house is above the house itself. Jesus is in stark contrast with false prophets like Muhammad and Joseph Smith and so on. Have you misunderstood who Jesus is as a prophet? Do you think he's merely a good teacher? As one who has some good things to say, but it's a grab bag. You'll, you'll take some things that, that are comfortable and nice, but the things that are hard and challenging to your flesh, you'll reject. But many here believe that Jesus is the prophet. That he is the prophet that Moses prophesied. Who is not merely a prophet, but also the Messiah. Also the Son of God. God the Son. They know that Jesus didn't just come to deliver the word. They know that Jesus is the word. The Pharisees misunderstood Jesus' identity as the Lord. Now, some people do recognize Jesus as the Lord. They would do really well on a theological exam, talking about, about the identity of Jesus and, and who he was and what he came to do. But the question is, is he your Lord? Belief in Jesus is not just assent to a bunch of theological facts. Belief in Jesus means submission to him as your Lord. It means committing all of your life to him as your Lord. And if you do not have him as your Lord, then he is not your Savior. Many here have experienced Jesus' ministry of making holy and of making whole. Many here have been made holy. Many here have, have welcomed Jesus and, and have been made holy. And, and now the, the, their bodies is the, temp, uh, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Church, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit made holy by Jesus. Many here also have been made whole by Jesus. We have, we have seen lives that have been destroyed by addiction and immorality, pornography, self-righteousness, bondage to, to all forms of sins. We have seen people here who have been made whole by the ministry of Jesus. They have been delivered from the power of sin and Satan. They have been delivered from hell. They have been delivered to God. And they now worship Him for who he is. By the testimony of Holy Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit, it is no longer a case of mistaken identity. So many here now know Jesus personally, walking with Jesus daily as their Lord and Savior. Would you join us as we worship Jesus this morning again in prayer.